0: Fellowship. We are so glad that you are here worshiping with us this morning. If you'll go ahead and scan the QR code on the screen behind me, that will give you all of the information and announcements that you'll need for this morning.
1: All right. So I would love to engage everyone this morning. I need us to do something that is very within our context of right now in 2020. It is an election year, and we are voting, and here's what we're going to do. With a raise of hands, we are going to vote together today. Are you ready? Does anybody feel awkward? Here's what we're gonna vote on. Do you like to put up your Christmas decorations before Thanksgiving or after Thanksgiving? Here we go. Raise your hand if you like to put your Christmas decorations up before Thanksgiving, go. After Thanksgiving. Winner, winner, chicken dinner, after Thanksgiving. That's my vote, is after Thanksgiving. My wife is different. So here's what will happen, probably next week, maybe in the next two weeks, I will leave for work. My wife and our three kids will go on an all out mission to put all the Christmas stuff up. I will show up, I did not get a vote in this at all, I will show up and I will smell gingerbread cookies on a candle that's lit right in front of me as I walk in the door, and then I will look and I will see Christmas wonder, Wonderland. That's what's going to happen, because she loves doing it, probably next week it's gonna happen. But let me just tell you this, Christmas is on us, and here's how I know that is because November 1st, which is next Sunday, you have a great opportunity to practice Christmas early. You ready? A lot of buildup for this one. Operation Christmas Child, next week, We will have the boxes out there and you will get to get your boxes, invite your neighbors, your friends, your community group. Let's set like boxes records this year. Y'all with me? We doing this? Let's show generosity to Operation Christmas Child and give presents to those that need them a lot. So we're gonna start next Sunday, get your boxes and then return them by November 22nd. That's what we're gonna do. All right, I want to take you back to a moment in your life. And maybe that's where you are right now. I remember a time, 2004, driving from Roanoke, Virginia to Rogers, Arkansas. And I, was t- I went on this trip to start a new chapter. I'm leaving my parents, I'm leaving my friends, I'm leaving everything to start a new job, my first real job. And I remember about two or three weeks in feeling very lonely. Have you ever been there? That's why We have brought on our team someone who's a great friend of mine, she's a great teammate, and we wanna focus on a demographic that could feel alone and they're our young professionals. Can you take that, Amber, and tell them about it?
0: Absolutely, thank you, Simon. So whether you are fresh out of college or 10 years out of college, we have young professionals community groups in Springdale, Rogers, and Bentonville. I've got a great example of this on the screen behind me. You will see a picture of my own personal community group. This was something we did a while back. We just got to enjoy a hayride. Enjoying community together, doing life together. That is one of the greatest benefits of our community groups. But another benefit that I have been richly blessed by is that this kind of a community group is the best context as a young professional to really work out my faith. I have friendships where we are digging into scripture together. We are praying together. We're listening to what God is doing in each other's lives. My group is the place where I go with my questions, where I hear my friends. Additionally, within a group, you are connected to opportunities to serve in the greater church. So for instance, my husband was out there greeting this morning. You probably saw him if you walked through the west door. We also have others in our group that mentor high school and middle school students. We have some that host dinners for missionaries, some serve on the worship team. Some even hold babies on Sundays as part of the early childhood program. There are so many different personalities and giftings found within our young professionals demographic. Plugging into a group will help to connect you to those opportunities.
1: If you are online right now watching us and you're in this demographic or you're sitting here right now in that demographic and you would like to get connected, my, Simon Foster, Amber Kate, our contacts are right behind us, you can connect with us. If you are not in that demographic but you would like to invest, you would like to intentionally be a part of helping young professionals in Northwest Arkansas that might feel alone in the community, then please, same emails, get in touch with me, get in touch with Amber, please connect with us. And let's just say you work with young professionals or you, your neighbors are young professionals, your grandkids are young professionals, your kids are young professionals. Let's, we have an opportunity, so please do not hesitate to reach out, we will get them connected. So now let's pause and think about this morning. What are we doing this morning that's a little exciting?
0: Awesome. So this morning, we get to participate in communion together. Communion has always been one of my favorite things to do as a gathered body because it represents the transcendence of Christ to unify us in a season of so much disunity. So whether your loved ones are sitting right next to you this morning, whether they're across town in quarantine, whether they're across the country with travel restrictions, none of that disunity matters because we are all unified in the body and the blood of Christ. So I have a few instructions. If you are watching at home, please go ahead and gather your elements so you can be ready for later in the service. But if you are here, don't do this yet. We just wanna make sure you're ready for later after the teaching. You'll see that there are two compartments in your thing, it looks a little bit different this year so that we can all take it safely together. But if you've ever had a Lunchable before, you will know the drill. You have all the skill you need to open this. You'll grab the top layer, peel it back, it's just a film. You'll grab your wafer and then you'll grab the second layer and slowly peel that back to open the juice so you'll have your elements ready for communion. If you don't currently have your elements, go ahead and step to the back. The ushers will be able to hand you one before we start. And now let's all go before the Lord in prayer together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just humble our hearts and our minds before you. God, I pray that as we get ready to worship you, that you can clear all distractions from us, that we can completely be just at an audience to you as we enter worship and learn from your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
1: Amen.
2: Amen. Thank you, guys. Well, church, I want to go ahead and take this time to prepare our hearts to worship together this morning. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna read a passage from Colossians chapter three. What's happening in this passage is we're being reminded that the wrath of God comes to those who are sinful. But luckily Jesus saves us. His blood covers us when he looks at us and we're made clean. I just wanna go ahead and ask you guys to just posture yourself to hear the word of God this morning. Treat this like we're singing a worship song together. This might look like saying amen or this might look like raising your hands in praise. I just want to give you permission to do that. The word of God is living and active and it's just as powerful as when we sing. So go ahead and posture yourself and I'm gonna read Colossians 12 through 17 with us. It says, therefore God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience accepting one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against one another. Just as the Lord has given you, you must also forgive. And above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of the Messiah to which you are also called in one body control your hearts. Be thankful. Let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing in psalms and spiritual psalms with gratitude and hearts towards God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God our Father through him. And this morning we have that opportunity to give thanks to God. So I'm gonna invite you to stand as we sing about God's love this morning.
0: Brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly And to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one.
2: And you may have a seat. Well, my wife Sherry
4: and I had a disagreement early in our marriage. You've never had any of those, have you? Those of you that are married, sure you have. But we had a disagreement early in our marriage, and it wasn't one of those relationship-threatening disagreements. It was more of kind of a fun debate, not like our presidential debates. It was very kind. And it, it was, it was basically the idea was she wanted a, I mean, I wanted a dog, and she did not. And so we would kind of, every three to six months, it would come back up, and we'd talk about it. And she had a great argument early on. She was like, hey, your yard is so nice. And I, I had this immaculate yard. She, you don't want the dog to mess up your yard. No, and we'd go to his friend's house, and they'd have the big dog, and she'd say, see. And you see, my idea was I wanted this big dog. I wanted a, a, a growing up, we had a 100-pound Labrador, big old black Lab, beautiful dog. I loved that dog, but he tore up everything. And so she, you know, she argued that for several years, but then we had kids, and the kids, they started growing up and they would start asking for a dog and they'd say, dad, we want a dog. And I said, I did something you should never do in marriage. I said, I know I want a dog too, but your mom, she doesn't want a dog. And you could see them kind of turn their focus on her. And so for the next couple of years, they're just all over and I'm over here kind of going, you know, I I'm staying, staying out of it. But I had this picture in my mind of me driving my truck around town that at that time I didn't have. And opening up the tailgate, my big black lab would jump in, and we would drive around town and maybe go hunting, which I didn't do. And and, and so I had this picture of how life could be, and the kids were trying to get mom to have a dog, and eventually it all came together. And this dog came available at just the right time, And, and she said okay, and so we did it. And so I want to introduce you to my big hunting dog, Lucy, for those of you that are watching online or in the room and you're not married, marriage is all about compromise, just so you know. And so this is Lucy, and man, she's an awesome dog. I've never taken her hunting, and I've never put her in the back, the bed of my truck. She can't see out. I do what ride around town with her in the front seat, though, you know, and I need to get a little booster seat or something, but, but it, it's just changed. She's the sweetest dog in the world, and, and she's so loyal She's so committed, she'll sit right by you wherever you're at in the house. It's it's like she lives her life just to, to bring you pleasure. She's the sweetest dog in the world, but I had to get a you know, this hypoallergenic dog. It couldn't shed. It couldn't bark a lot, all these things, and, and she's ended up being a great dog. And, and she's a great picture of how that Paul is challenging the Thessalonians to live, just live this life in order just to please and bring glory to God. If you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and <clears throat> But Paul is, is basically doing this kind of mini-series of sermons. These three weeks we're, we're in, we're in the middle sermon of a three-week kind of mini-series where he's challenging the Thessalonians to live in such a way that they please God. And If you look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1, he says this, "'As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God.'" <clears throat> so, just like my little dog Lucy, the, the, Paul's challenging the Thessalonians to live their lives in order to, to please God and bring glory to him. And then he instructs them in three ways. He's going to instruct them in three ways on how to do that. The first one, last week, Sam Hannon talked about how to live your life in order to please God in the area of human sexuality, God's plan for human sexuality. And if you didn't listen to that sermon or didn't see it, I encourage you to watch it online. It's so instructive. Sam did a great job. And then he moves this week to our topic of loving others god 's plan for living life with and loving our brothers and sisters in Christ and then next week, Nick Roland will take us to this this idea of how, as believers, we engage grief and we live with hope even as we grieve and so this morning we 'll look at this middle uh, section, verses nine through twelve and if you want to turn your Bibles to verse nine we 'll spend the uh, nine through twelve we 'll spend the rest of our time. There, and it says this, verse nine, "'Now about your love for one another. "'We do not need to write you, "'for you yourselves have been taught by God "'to love each other. "'And in fact, you do love all of God's family "'throughout Macedonia.'" The passage starts off with this, this thing. Now about your love. That's a, that's a transitional statement. We saw it back in, in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. You'll see it again in the first of chapter 5, but it's this transitional statement because he's saying, hey, we're moving away from this, and now we're moving to this. We're moving from those instructions on how to deal with lust to now how to deal with loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. We're we're moving away from what you should eliminate. Now we're talking about what you should cultivate. We're moving away from this, this how to deal with sexual desires, and now we're talking about how to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. And he's saying, now about your love, we do not need to write you. It's an interesting thing to say in the middle of a letter that you're writing, isn't it? Now, about your love, we don't need to write you. And what he's going to do is he's going to give us two reasons that he doesn't need to write them. The first one's right there. We don't need to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God. That's an incredibly powerful statement. You yourselves, you've been taught by God. What does he mean by that? That word, actually, it's the only place this is used in the New Testament. It it means, the Greek word is is, um, theododactos. It's one word, theododactos, God taught. He's telling the Thessalonians, you are God taught. So what does that mean? Look at another verse, uh, Romans chapter five, verse five. It says this, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love so you're God taught to love one another. God's love has been poured out into your hearts through the Holy Spirit. So what he's saying there is that that, that if you are a believer in Christ, God has poured his love into your heart through what? The Holy Spirit. And in our passage in Thessalonians, he's saying, you are taught to love, you are God-taught by the Holy Spirit. You have everything you need. Your tank is on full and you are able to love if you're a believer in Christ. You don't love in order to get love. As a believer in Christ, you've got all the love. You've got everything you need. You are taught by God to love through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you have everything you need. And the Holy Spirit has been given to us. In John chapter 14, uh, Jesus says, uh, God will send another helper, an advocate, who will be with you forever. Acts 1.8 says, you will receive what? Power. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And so as we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, he says, now about your love... He's talking about love for one another. We do not need to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love. Now, I want us to look at those two words for love. There are actually two different Greek words for our same English word love. The first one is Philadelphia. Does that sound familiar? The city of brotherly love. It actually means love for another person from the same womb. So that would be your brother or sister. The Christian community kind of hijacked it and said, we're going to use it as love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so he's saying here, your love, your Philadelphia for one another, we don't need to write you about that love. Or the love, the agapeo love, which we know as agape which that's the, the purest form, the, the God-sized love. And so what Paul's saying here is this, this God-sized love should fuel your love for one another, your love for the brother and sister in Christ. It fuels, it forms. The apostle John wrote a lot about love, and both in his gospel and also in his epistles. And I just wanna read some of this for you. I don't have it on the screen, but just listen. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, he says this, For we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. It's an indicator that you have have become a Christian because, because you love other Christians. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Skipping down to verse 16. This is how we know what love is. So he defines love for us. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Isn't that interesting? That the Christian who has been taught by God, who has the Holy Spirit, ought to lay down their life for others. That's how you exhibit love. You, you die. It's a great picture in Mary's. You just lay down what your desires and your, what your spouse needs and you, you die for them. In chapter 4, verse 7, same book of First John says this Dear friends, let us love one another for love. Comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Those are some great words for our world right now. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to die as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. What a challenging statement. And in this first verse, in chapter 10, Paul gives us a second reason. He says, in addition to this idea of you being taught by God to love, this this theodidactos, this, this pouring in of the Holy Spirit, in addition to that, he says this in verse 10. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Not only are you taught by God through the Holy Spirit to do this, but also you're already doing it. I don't need to tell you about it. You're already doing it. Now, I know we've showed you several pictures of of Thessalonica or the, the Macedonian area. It's modern day Greece. But Thessalonica was the capital city, probably the leading city in the area and we know from the book of Acts that Paul's group, they had planted several churches around Macedonia. And Paul says, you're loving the believers there so well. And so a couple of things are probably happening. This church in Thessalonica may be, be resourcing some of those churches. That's probably one of the things that's happening. Probably another thing that's happening is as those people come to Thessalonica, maybe for business or something's going on, that the church there is loving the people really well maybe welcoming them, maybe giving them a place to stay. And we've learned from other places of the scripture, this is not a wealthy church, but they're loving the, the surrounding communities really well, probably resourcing them in some way, maybe, maybe leading them. It reminds me of our folks over in the training center here at Fellowship, but there's some people and all they do is resource other churches. They spend all their time spending time with leadership teams from other churches and they just serve them and love them. It reminds me of that. And based on Timothy's report, Paul knows that that church is loving the churches in Macedonia really well. So Paul says, I don't need to write you. But then you know what he does? He writes them. And so something <clears throat> is going on. We know in life, oftentimes our life isn't perfect. And so what Paul's going to do in the next couple of verses is he's going to give us four life principles. And I think these life principles, I bet they apply as much today as they do back in that time. And I, what I'd love for you to do is to take a, one or two of these home with you and be praying about them this week. Ask God, Lord, would you show me how to respond to this life principle that Paul's talking about? <clears throat> so in verses 10 and 11, we'll see that, that our lives should be growing in love and they should be peaceful in pace and finite in focus Faithful in work, and you don't need to write these down. We're going to unpack them as we go. So, look again at verse 10 with me. He says, And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. This love that's been poured out for you by the Holy Spirit, you're God taught, and this love that you're already doing, he's saying, Do it more and more. It should be growing. So I want us to take a little pop quiz this morning. <clears throat> Cause because what we have a saying around here that healthy things grow. And so to to, to confirm that and, and the idea of this growing in love, let's think about this. Okay, so and you can respond by just raising your hand. How many of you would like for your, your bank account to be bigger a year from now than it is right now? So just raise your hand if you're in agreement. Most of you, there's a few of you not raising your hand. You must be independently wealthy. I need to get to know you, don't I? So yeah, so you want your bank account to grow, don't you? All right, Uh, how many of you, you have children and you want your child to be more mature next year than they are right now? Parents, raise your hands. Yeah, get them up there. That's good, that's good. Hey, uh, children, how about you? Who of you, children is just for children, who of you want to be faster and stronger and taller this time next year than you are right now. Raise your hand if you're with me. Oh yeah. You want to grow, don't you? Students, how many of you want more freedom this time next year than you have right now? Raise your hand if you're with me. Oh yeah, like definitely, man. My parents need to get off my back. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. But you but healthy things grow. And Paul is saying, "Hey, even though you're doing a great job of it, you, your, your love needs to grow." And so that's life principle number one. Your life as a believer in Christ should be growing in love. It should be growing in love. Second life principle here. He says, "Your life should be peaceful in pace. Let's look at this. In verse 11 he says, "And make it and to make it your ambition." To lead a quiet life. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? Make it your ambition. Strive to do nothing. Work really hard to be quiet. Now this, 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 uh, this statement of quiet life is a little bit different than I originally thought. It's translated most often to mean, um, to mean at rest or at peace or to give peace rather than be silent. Although that's wrapped up in there too. It's this, it's this idea of living, living this life in which you don't have to engage in the culture. It's this, it's this idea of living a life where your pace is at such a pace, it's restful, it's peaceful, that you don't have to engage in all the rigmarole. Are you getting the idea? What Paul's saying is stop worrying about what's going on out there and worry about what's happening right here. In our marriage ministry, reengage Jimmy Cummings. They have a principle they talk about a lot. It's called the circle. We talk about it a lot. And he says, your, your life should be peaceful and paced, that you should be focused on your circle. And we'll talk about that more in just a minute. Your life should be peaceful and paced. It, it should be busy, but not hurried. Now, I know there's some families here that are, you probably feel a little bit overplanned, don't you? Maybe you're starting to be like, okay, great. He's going to tell us we can only have one activity per child at a time. I'm not going to tell you that. That's your business and you to manage. But I will say this, that you've got to be able to adjust when you realize you're out of balance. That's the key. The key is to look down the road and go, you know, I see something's out of of whack here. I'm feeling a little stressed in our family's pace. And you're able to make an adjustment, even a hard adjustment. My friend Robert Cupp always said that balance is an illusion, that you're always out of balance one way or another. The key is just being able to make the adjustments in your family and in your work and your schedule to get back in balance. So the question is, how's your pace? How's your family's pace? One of the Proverbs we use to help us with this is Proverbs 22.3 that says, The prudent sees danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going, and pay the penalty. That we pray that Lord, would you look down the road and would you show us what's going on down there, so that that we can we can protect ourselves from it. That we can see what's going on down the road, that we don't just walk blindly into a life that's not a peaceful pace. And I will challenge you, um, for those of you I've got a couple kids that are grown, And a couple kids at home, and and I will tell you we're doing a better job with our our two kids that are at home than we did with our older kids. We, we ran a much more frantic pace then than we do now. Um, part of that's our own doing, part of that's just the pace we're, the, the, the stage we're in. I encourage you, keep a simple pace. Life tends to grow, and, and don't worry about what's going on out there. Worry about and stay with what's in here. Hey, life principle number three. Your life should be finite in focus. And so Paul's starting to drill in on this, this, this focus piece, that you have a sphere of influence. It's called your circle. We, I talked about it just a second ago. In reengage, we, we literally draw a circle around ourselves. We have everyone stand up and we say, okay, draw a circle around yourselves. And everybody's kind of chuckling. That's funny. Yeah? Draw a circle around yourself. No, we're serious. Draw a circle around yourself. And then for the next 15 weeks, focus on everyone in the circle. Don't focus on your family. Don't focus on your your spouse. Focus on working on everyone in the circle, and that's you, right? And the same principle applies here. Paul's saying look at the, the text. You should mind your own business. That's a pretty powerful statement for a culture that's just about to have an election, isn't it? What's your business? What's your family's business? What Paul's saying here is, is mind your own business. In a, in a social media saturated culture, we're so worried about what's going on out there. Paul's saying, worry about what's going on here. Stay in your circle. So, who's in your circle? Who's in your circle? You know, most of us, our circle is probably a lot smaller than we realize. Probably 99% of the people in this room, we probably have a very small sphere of influence, don't we? We think that everybody's waiting for our next comment. They're not. They're waiting for you to mess up so they can drive you into the ground. That most people, our sphere of influence is very small, and it's really your circle, and it probably starts with your family, Your family is probably your greatest sphere of influence, hopefully. If you're here, if you're single, whether online or in the room, I just want you to know that there is a strategicness to singleness. You're not just trying to wait to be married. I encourage you, engage the culture. Engage the church. You may be the only person in your family right now or your extended family, but whether you're married, if you've got kids, that's probably the smallest part of your sphere of influence. Focus on that. And then it moves out from there, probably church, probably friends, co-workers, school. And he moves out from there, it's probably your kids' activities or, or neighbors on from there. That's probably your sphere of influence from the majority of us. And what Paul is saying is stop worrying about what's going on out there and focus right here. Life principle number three, mind your own business your life should be finite in focus. Now, the word finite just means limited. Our sphere should be limited. Mind your own business, stay in your circle. Life principle number four in our lives, we should be faithful in our work. He's saying in addition to your life being growing in love and in, your, in addition to your life being peaceful in pace, in addition to your life being finite and focused, focused right here, he's saying your, your life should be faithful in work. And work with your hands just as we told you. That's a real interesting statement. A lot of teachers take this and they make the whole passage about work. I don't think it really is. I think part of it is. Part of it has to do with what we're doing. But what Paul's saying here is he's saying, do your part. Work hard. There seemed to be something going on in the Thessalonian church that was really interesting. Um, Some of them believed Jesus was coming back right then. Like they literally had quit their jobs and stopped living life. And they said, we're just going to hang out here until Jesus comes back. Have you ever seen that happen? People have written books about it. You know, they predict a date and they say, okay, Jesus is coming back. I'm going to wait for him right now. And then it passes by and it doesn't happen. That's got to be really embarrassing. That's what seems to be happening here. And Paul's saying, don't do that. Actually, if Jesus is coming back really soon, that means you should work all the harder at leading others to the Lord. You Christians should be the best and the hardest workers at work. If you're in school, you should do your part in school. If you you live with others at college, you should do your part there. He's saying you should work hard. You should be faithful in your work. He's saying stop being idle and start working, paying your way, doing your part. What he's not talking about here is those who have lost their job and are struggling with unemployment and trying to get a job. I know we're in the midst of a pandemic and those are families that are struggling and trying to get back to work. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about those who are unwilling to work because of their philosophy. He says, get back to living life, being busy until Jesus comes back. This was a problem. Um, In the next chapter, in verse 14, he says this. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. He's saying, get busy with the work of the Lord. Don't be idle. In his second letter to the Thessalonians, he says this. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. One man who is unwilling, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. He's just saying, do your part. Whatever your part is in life, in the family, at the workplace, at school, do your part, especially as a believer. And then what Paul does next, I love the Apostle Paul, Because not only does he give us four life principles, he's saying not only should your life be growing in love and peaceful in pace and finite and focused and faithful in work, but then he gives us the why. Look at verse 12. So that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. First he's saying, hey, you, you wanna win respect of the watching world. And what you, how you win the respect of the watching world is you stay right here and you focus on here and you do this to the best of your ability. And then out there, they'll watch and they'll go, man, I need to know about their life. I need to know what's going on with them. And he says, and also that you will not be dependent on anybody. Now, this is not saying that there won't be times in life where you'll need help from your Christian brothers and sisters. That will happen. But he's saying, as you live your life, do your part. So I want to just close this way. In just a little while, we're going to have communion and celebrate communion together. But I want to close this way. I want to talk about how we've done this in our family over the years. And we have this kind of as-you-go spiritual approach. And, and, and we, we, don't, we don't stop and have a lot of spiritual times separate from the day, but we try to include our, our spiritual times in the day. And we do this a couple ways through uh, discussions at the dinner table and riding in the car. That's our as-you-go parenting philosophy. And so we stop at the dinner table and we discuss the sermon oftentimes or what the kids learned about and what we learned about. Uh, Last Sunday was really awkward, Um, talking about the sexual desires piece, but it was really good. And so we process that at the dinner table together. We'll process sometimes, if somebody has a a devotional they do that's really impactful, they'll bring it to the dinner table. Another thing we do is in the car. When we're on the way somewhere, and oftentimes I get to engage this on the way to school, and so I'll say, "Hey, pull out a proverb. What's today? Today's the seventh, okay? Read Proverbs seven. I always know the days too that tells them to obey their parents. I'm like, it's it's the fifteenth. You better get the Proverbs." So I want them to obey their parents. But, but we process that. I say, hey, what stuck out to you there? And we'll process that as we go. But one of my favorite things to do is to leave them with something. I feel like, man, I just want them to know that dad loves spiritual things and dad hopes for, for a spiritual life for them. So I'll, I'll say something clever or I'll, I'll pray for them, or I'll, I'll, I'll say, hey, be the best you you can be. Or, and then I even make fun of myself. Hey, right turns only. Be safe as you're going. But then I, one of the, my favorite things to do is just pray a prayer of blessing over them. And they'll be like, oh, dad, yeah, I'm gonna pray a prayer blessing over you. And one of the ones I remembered the most, I started doing it just because I had it memorized, but then I really studied it. And it's, it's Numbers 6, 24 through 26. And it says this, it says, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And just to imagine if that prayer of blessing really came true in the life of your children and my children? What if, what if God really did bless my kids that day or that week or in that lifetime? What if he did keep them close to him? What if his face really did shine on them and maybe through a dark, cold time, his face would shine on them just like the noonday sun warms you in the middle of winter? And what if he was gracious to them and, and they began to understand and learn about his grace? And what if that at a very hard time he turned his face towards them, just like a grandpa or a loving dad turns towards him, and he, he just gives them peace through a really hard time, maybe a, a mask-wearing time during a pandemic where you're trying to do school and you got to wear this thing all day long. See, I think that's the Christian life that Paul's talking about. As we're growing in our love and as we're peaceful in our pace, and as we're minding our own business, if we're finite in focus and as we're faithful in our work. Hey, we're going to sing this passage as a blessing together. Would you join us?
5: In your kindness you lead to repentance And by your mercy we're found in our sins and happy taste
4: haven't already prepared your elements, go ahead and do that at home. Do the same. One of our hopes for you as a church is that you would realize that the Lord is for you. And as, as Paul challenges to live this life, to a life that's pleasing to him, that God has given us everything we need. He has taught us to love. He has shown for us love. And that's why we come to the table to remember his love. Fellowship, Jesus' body broken for you and for me. Take and eat. Jesus' blood shed for you and for me. Take it and drink. Church, this week, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards
3: you and give you peace. God bless you, church. Have a great week.